0: So glad you're with us on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our web address and clark.com slash ask is where you get to post a question for me and then I ask you something. You probably aren't aware that we offer off-air advice. That's available for free, 45 hours a week. You can talk with a member of Team Clark. We've been providing free off-the-air advice now for just a hair under 25 years. If you go to Clark.com, scroll down that front screen, you'll see how to get free off-the-air advice. And I hope that if we have served you with free off-the-air advice, that we did serve you well. Coming up in 20 minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment. Such a frenzy about buying organic, but I have something that will truly Clark Rage you to share with you in today's Clark Rageous Moment. And coming up in a half hour, there are discounts available all over the place just for the asking. I'm going to tell you what you ask. And what I want to talk about right now came specifically out of a called to our show. I had done a segment about how I did 23andMe.com, also did Ancestry.com, and the 23andMe, I was able to get a list of genetic issues that I might face or my kids might have inherited from me. And it sure is helpful to know those things. And as I said at the time, there are a lot of people who should not take the 23andMe.com test because there are people who cannot handle the information. You just can't. If you find out you're genetically disposed to having a greater likelihood of having a particular illness or having early-onset Alzheimer's or whatever it is, there are people who, given that kind of information, psychologically, it just blows you up. So if you know that you're somebody who's better off not knowing, don't do one of these tests. But the question posed to me was this if i know these things what's to keep my insu- an insurance company or my insurer from using the information against me and that's kind of a chilling question right to think about an insurer knowing what's going on with you genetically and then choosing that they're either not going to insure you or that they're going to charge you a higher rate because of your genetic predispositions. So I did some reading about that because at the time I said I didn't know for sure. And what I found out was really fascinating. The concern is the opposite. Insurers aren't allowed to know your genetic information. It's called the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Privacy Act. Insurers are not permitted to require gene tests, and they can't use any gene information they have to decide whether or not to insure you. So. Here's where it turns on its head from the call that I received. So this was really crazy weird. So do you know what adverse selection is? So where somebody makes a decision based on their own circumstance that can harm the greater good. So now someone who takes a 23andMe.com test can know, oops, I have a greater risk of this, that, or the other that might cause me to die younger than average. One insurer sells you life insurance based on the actuarial tables that show the odds of when you're going to die, and they set the rates that way. Well, think about this. This was the point also of a New York Times story is that people could take these tests, know what they're genetically at risk for, and if something's a very high risk of causing a severe health problem or potentially early death, they might choose to go out and buy additional insurance with the insurer none the wiser of the risk they represent, and it turns the exact question I had upside down and backwards. Where you're able to use the information to protect yourself, but harm the overall risk pool on which the insurer has set their premiums. Who knew it would turn out so upside down and backwards from my original question on the show? Dan is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Dan. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you. You are a good saver, are you not?
1: yeah I, I, I think so maybe. Uh, but that's that's my question now. Um, uh, I've been googling this for a bit and haven't found a great answer and wanted to get your input. Um, probably about 10, 15 years ago I, I ended up uh, opening an account with an online bank that promised a couple percentage points uh, uh, interest rate. and so I opened an account and um, it, it went well. I, I stashed away some, some cash and then... You know, over the years, I've been opening up little sort of specialized, uh, you know, sub-accounts. So I've got one for my taxes, one for, you know, my car savings, one for my next laptop computer, one for our kids' braces, and one for holidays. So I've got 15 little accounts here, um, and, and there's a good balance. You know, it's, it's about 30000 but I, I started thinking, you know, I'm not earning a whole lot of interest on
0: that. Dan, so, I can well, barely breathe. I am so excited by what you've told me. I mean, here you are calling me. I can hear the discouragement in your voice, and I am ecstatic hearing what you're saying because you are planning in advance for expenses that you know are coming and expenses that you cannot anticipate, and you are not only preparing yourself for a rainy day, but you're preparing yourself for things that are going to happen like clockwork in your life. Right, right. So that's... That's wonderful. so yeah. so why does it feel bad to you?
1: <laughs> well I, I'm just wondering like I, I think with this uh, bank I'm getting maybe one percent interest and and I wonder I think I've heard you say a couple times that you know it's not great to stash too much cash in a savings account it's good to, to invest and I, I'm doing that a bit already uh, but I just wonder with these funds should I just leave them here where it's safe or should I be moving them to you know, an investment account where I can be earning a little bit more interest. I mean, I love the, the idea that I can see what they're all for. They're designated and they're protected. But I wonder if I could be earning something a little bit better.
0: Right. What a great question. And we're going to talk specifically about the difference between savings and investment. So okay. th- the money for your daughter's, you said your daughter's braces?
1: Yeah, a couple of kids' braces.
0: Okay, a couple of kids' braces. <laughs> All right. So those are going to cost you, was it five grand a kid? Uh, It could
1: be. It could be.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that's some serious money you got to come up with and you can, you know, when that's going to happen, how far in the future. And so how soon is it for each of your kids?
1: Uh, I mean, you know, some of these expenses, yeah, are things that we might use next year. Like, we'll buy a car probably later this year, so we'll take some of the funds out for that. All
0: right, so you're getting getting to my point. So money that you're not going to need for a decade or longer should be invested. On the other hand, money that's going to have a use especially within five years should be absolutely locked down in simple savings like you're doing now. And money you're going to need between 5 and 10 years is kind of a mixed message what you should do with it. But the shorter a time period you're looking at, it's all about savings. The longer a time period you're looking at, it gradually becomes all about investing. So a lot of these 15 accounts, I'm guessing, are for needs that will occur within a five-year window from now is that accurate or inaccurate
1: yeah yeah that's that's pretty much it
0: so in that case you're doing it a hundred percent right wonderful now then the other question for you because you're so diligent about saving and creating different purpose-based accounts for your life what are you doing to save for retirement
1: yes so, you know, our income is not very high. So most of these savings have come from tax returns or little, you know, surprise amounts we've gotten here and there. Um, but we work for a nonprofit and our, our income is not so high. So we, you know, we, we do a little bit every month uh, into a Roth IRA for my wife and I. And we're trying to do more. So I think that's our next step is to try to uh, ratchet that up a little bit.
0: But Exactly. Um, but you're it. doing you're doing a great thing. You're doing a great job. And I want you to be proud of how methodical you think about the expenses as they are going to come up in your life. Great job. Eric is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Eric. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. You have a question for me that is a little different.
2: Yes, that I do. This is, I, I've thrown curveballs at a lot of people with this question. I figured the only person I can actually answer this is probably you.
0: Oh, wow. You're putting the pressure on me now. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, I've heard I've heard that from you before, and you've come through big time. So here's the situation. First of all, I want to preempt this with, this is with love and care by my parents. But the situation is, I was in a, a tricky divorce, and my credit got destroyed. So they thought it would be nice, and as a safety net, to put me on as an additional user to their credit card unbeknownst to me, they are carrying a pretty substantial debt and it instantly hit my credit report and it killed my income to credit ratio. So the question I have is they're doing a refi and they are going to clear this debt. Now, my name is on the account still, um, do I keep it there and hopefully help them control the revolving credit? Um, which they're pretty diligent. Their credit score is like 750, so they're pretty good there. But this one is is substantial. Or do I remove myself completely and establish my own credit?
0: So you do want to establish your own credit, but right now they're actually an anchor for you instead of a booster shot. But if I heard you right, they're about to pay this off through the refi, and it'll be the credit card debt will be at zero. That's correct. So you want to use that, not remove yourself as an authorized user yet. Use that once it's paid off. About 60 days later, you should see a nice boost to your credit score. Okay. And then apply for credit of your own, because you should have, hopefully at that point, a score good enough that you can get a credit card on your own. And then turn around and revoke the authorized user now they'll have to do it with the credit card company that that you're being removed as an authorized user but then it will no longer reflect in your credit
2: okay that's good information now what about the credit bureaus how do i get them to remove this from my credit report
0: once your parents have removed you as an authorized user within about 60 days you'll no longer be showing as an authorized user of this account on your credit report Okay. So so That's how it's supposed to work in theory.
2: Okay. So the credit card company, they call and say, I want this additional user removed.
0: No, well, your parents ask that. You get removed from the account, and then the credit card company electronically, when they update status, you suddenly won't show up as part of the status for that card. Okay. And that's That's the... The best way to do it. Now, I told you the book answer, you will only know with practice over time if that really happens like it's supposed to. And if it's still hanging around on your credit, then that would be something you would challenge saying, I am not an authorized user on this account. You would challenge that with whatever credit bureau would be showing you as an active authorized user on that account. Organic foods are so in, and we spend quite a bit more money to buy organics rather than non-organics, so you want to get what you're paying for, right? Well, today's Clark-rageous moment, sadly, I have to tell you, that's not necessarily happening. Scams, rip-offs, outrages, it's a Clark-rageous moment. In a deep, research multi-month investigation by the Washington Post, they found that over and over again, items that are being marketed as organic are not. Items have been found to have heavy levels of pesticide in them that are being sold as organic, and the industry is fighting from behind against counterfeits. Roughly half of the organics we buy in the United States do not originate in the United States. And the standards can be different from country to country how clearly, how, how much enforcement there is on the sale of organics. And clearly in a lot of places in the United States, it's not. In addition, the U.S. Department of Agriculture is way understaffed in being able to be a cop on the beat. A recent example of counterfeit organics found that by the time the USDA got to the point where they visited a warehouse where the fake organics had originally been sent, two-thirds of the organics had already gone into the marketplace way too late to do something about it. You spend all that money and you don't get what you're paying for, that's Clark Rages. Age has its privileges. I'll tell you what that means in a second. I'd like to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website. Clarkdeals.com is where you get all the bargains to stretch every dollar. Speaking of stretching every dollar, there is such a mishmash of deals available to people who are 50 and over and they come in all different forms and shapes and sizes some give discounts at 50 some give discounts if you are an AARP member by the way as a um, as a gag gift when my wife turned 30 I bought her an AARP membership And ever since, she's uh, way past 30 now, but still young. She continues to get solicitations for senior living facilities, 55-plus communities, you name it. And she has never renewed that AARP thing I did when she was 30. But the look on her face... When I gave her, that card was priceless, and she became eligible right then for all these AARP discounts. So, (laughs) a lot of places at age 55, others, well, my son and I last year went to see a movie when he was 10 and I was 60, and we qualified at the theater For me getting the senior discount and him getting the child's discount. How's that for a twofer? But if you don't ask, you don't get. A lot of places, you just say, do you have a senior discount? And they either do or they don't. And usually I'll say, what age do you have to be for it? And turns out a lot of them, I'm still too young. You got to be 65. But for most, actually, you don't have to be. You can be 50, 55, 60, 62, whatever. Some people, out of vanity, don't want the senior discount because, well, to them, it means they're old. Get over it. Get the savings. Grab the money. There are now, if you look at your Google Play Store on an Android or you look at the Apple App Store, you'll see there are a lot of apps now that will identify for you the senior discounts you're eligible for and how old you have to be for those. And so I say... Age does have some privilege besides grunting when you get up or sit down on a sofa. What are you laughing about, Kim? I'm laughing because I'm 45 and I already have aches and pains. I get you. No, with the grunting, getting up or down from a sofa starts about age 40. And they used to say, don't trust anyone over 30. But you know, age generally is a population. So I think people would say, now don't trust anybody over 40 so Kim this means you're not trustworthy anymore we already knew that really <laughs> <laughs> Scott's with us on the Clark Howard show Hi Scott hi Clark how are you doing doing great good well, I, uh, how can I serve you Scott well uh thanks to you and your uh,
3: information I had got a great deal from a, a private party on a 2009 Camry. And uh, But I only got one uh, key with it, and so I looked into um, getting an uh, additional key or two keys and went to talk to the dealer, and they want $300 for a replacement key uh, that's a remote or $100 for one that's just the uh, basic key. And I'm wondering, there's got to be a way to to beat this. Do you know of any other way?
0: Yeah, there are businesses popping up all over the country that say they can duplicate those car keys at a fraction of the cost of the dealer. That's great. And you'll see it at sometimes you'll go to an independent hardware store, you know, i.e. not Home Depot or Lowe's, okay. and they'll have a kiosk where they'll make most automotive keys and fobs for you. And there's something called Kimi. I don't know if you ever heard of Kimi. No. K-E-Y dot M-E instead of dot com dot M-E. Okay. And Kimi has been popping up all over the country. And they have these kiosks that tend to be in retailers. And you go to the kiosk and they have technology there where they're able To copy a key in many cases right while you stand there and if you go to key.me and you put in your zip code you'll be able to see if any of their locations are near you you also can go to google and do a search and google knows exactly where you are geographically and you can say duplicate toyota key and Google will be able to tell you what local businesses duplicate the Camry key that you need. Fantastic. And so sometimes you'll there are people who go on eBay and buy a key duplication service, and sometimes you end up with a dud. But if you live somewhere geographically that none of the alternatives I talk about work, then eBay may be your next best guess.
3: Okay. Yeah, I saw that you can buy uh, keys on Amazon uh, that you can bring to, uh, to a, uh, a local locksmith to get programmed. Um, I also saw that there's some older um, cars where the, the car can actually program the key itself, but mine um, isn't one of those cars.
0: And I'm curious, if you buy one of those on Amazon, what are you paying for it in that case?
3: Um, two keys. Um, these are the non-remote ones, two keys for under
0: $20. That's a little different than 100 each.
3: Yeah, for sure.
0: Wow. Well, you sound like the kind of person who advocates well for yourself. You'll get this done. Thank you. I'm curious, an 09 Camry, how many miles did you buy it with?
3: I got it for uh, with only 80,000 miles.
0: Wow. So you've got years and years. I mean, Camrys tend to last quarter million miles without breaking too much of a sweat.
3: Yeah, we're, we were very blessed to get this deal.
0: Well, good. Well, great. And I hope you solved the key thing without having it pinch your wallet too much. Thank you, Glad. Best to you. Daniel is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Daniel.
4: Hello, Clark. How are you doing?
0: Great. Thank you. You have a paid-off timeshare. I do. I do. Is that a good thing or a bad thing?
4: (laughs) Well, it's good that it's paid off. However, I really don't use it. Um, I used it a few times in the beginning. I bought it in uh, 2005, uh, but I never really went to that resort. It's a points system thing, and I used that part that portion of the timeshare, but I haven't used it in about ten years now. And so I'm
0: just wait wait, so you've been you have owned it for twelve years and you used it the first two years and haven't used it since? I haven't used it since. Oh I hate that. So my question But you hate it a lot more than I do, right? (laughs) And
4: well I just it's a little complicated for me. To to try to figure out how to use the actual resort itself. I did, like I said, I had used it a a few times in the beginning for the points to go to different places, which worked out okay, but uh, it's just something that I'm just not using any longer.
0: All right. And so I get to be the bad guy who tells you that selling that timeshare is nearly impossible.
4: And, you know, I'm really. I'm really not interested in even selling. I'd like to just give it away or stop making the, the you know, or stop paying for the, the maintenance fee each year.
0: Right, which is what, 500 600 a year for that week?
4: The, the actual, for this past year or this year that we're in, it was, uh, it was relatively low at 381 a year or for the year. So that's not really that bad, but uh, then the additional... Uh, membership fee for the timeshare is another hundred and something, so it winds up being about five hundred a year. You're correct?
0: Okay. Have you ever heard of Vacatia? No, sir, I haven't. So one possibility for you is maybe you can rent out your week that you're stuck paying the five hundred dollars for. Check out Vacatia. And people do list properties there as well. Maybe you can get yours sold through them. And one other thing, do you know, is the original developer from 05, are they still actively marketing that property?
4: No, they're not. Uh, as a matter of fact, they never really completed the, the, the whole thing that it was sold to be. There's only about two or three buildings that actually were ever completed.
0: Well, that's not good news. No. So, is there have have you found any um, informal homeowners group for that place?
4: I I didn't didn't know about how to check in something like
0: that. All right, I'd like you to go to a website called Timeshare Users Group. Okay. And you, and you can Google how to go to that website or you can go and give you the address. It's kind of complicated to get to it. It's T-U-G, for Timeshare Users Group, the number two okay. dot, N-E-T, dot .net. Okay. Tug2.net. And see if there's any group of people who are owners of Weeks there as well. And that's going to be a great source of information for you. And you also might find somebody who actually likes having a place there and would like your week. And so when you're giving it away, that makes it a whole lot more possible. And Daniel, anybody who comes along who says they can sell your week for you, but in return you need to pay them money, you need to know those are 100% a scam. A scam. Linda's with us on the Clark Howard show. Hello, Linda. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. You're selling your home. We hope to. yes. (laughs) Well, how can I be of help in that quest?
4: Well, there are so many real estate agents, especially in our area. I just don't know where to start because I've heard some nightmare stories about Agents that really weren't working well for the property owner.
0: Right, and so you have a very small percent of agents that sell in a metro area that sell probably three quarters or so of the real estate being sold in that area. Tiny, tiny share account for most of the activity. And what I'd like for you to do is going to sound really anti-intellectual and informal, but I'd like you to drive around in your general neighborhood area and look for the same agents on the signs again and again. And those are the agents that that do so much of the activity known as farming your area. You'll probably, in a typical search like that, you'll probably find somewhere around five agents that account for most of the homes being sold in your general vicinity oh i never thought to do that and so you write down those names and you call them you have those uh four or five people whatever it is come in and present to you how they would market your home what they think it should be priced at why they recommend that price and you're looking not just for somebody who seems very knowledgeable and very industrious but you're also looking for somebody who you match up with as far as personality and chemistry. Oh, very good. And I so, thought to interview. Oh, definitely you interview the agents. Very and just good. because somebody says they can get you more money for your house than somebody else, that means nothing. No. Because asking ain't getting, right? Exactly. So as you interview those agents that seem to be so active, most active in your immediate area, you'll be able to zero in on perhaps one, possibly two finalists that you'll have to pick among. And I bet you'll find your right person to market your home. Brandon is with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Brandon, you want to throw me an impossibility, don't you?
2: (laughs) I thought I could throw you one, that. the one I have would probably be it.
0: What are you wanting me to solve for you?
2: My fiancé and I are going on our honeymoon a few weeks after we get married in early December. We're going to be leaving right after Christmas. Now, the predicament here is this is the only period of time where we get to use our floating holidays and things to take this vacation. So going to a time of year where it's cheaper to fly isn't necessarily an option for us.
0: When during Christmas do you want to go, and where specifically?
2: We're going to be leaving on December 30th, and we're leaving to Costa Rica from the Chicago airport.
0: Oh my goodness, you hate me, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Brandon. Oh, man. That is going to be a tough one. Now, the 30th. Though you may be okay, even New Year's Eve, if you could do that day, because most of the travel southbound from the U.S. to Costa Rica would have most heavily happened before that. But it's not going to be easy because you're peak, 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 peak time.
2: Yes, and uh, we understood that when we looked into pricing. And the biggest reason I wanted to talk to you is just to ask what a reasonable price is, not what a great price is.
0: From Chicago to um, Central America, Costa Rica in particular is the most popular spot. Right around New Year's, round trip, a reasonable price would be $600. Okay. What kind of fares are you seeing?
2: between 650 and 750
0: you're not in horrible territory from chicago for that time of year and it might make sense to wait a little while but um track it on google.com slash flights and when it pops up with a buy alert go ahead and buy it and congratulations to you on your wedding thank you very much clark thanks you're listening to the clark howard show I appreciate you tuning in to The Clark Howard Show. And if you'd like more fun stuff to listen to by podcast, well, we have our Empowerment Zone. This is where you get to hear the stories of people that have done amazing things, either in overcoming hardship in their lives or things they've done to accomplish. Go to Clark.com slash Empowerment Zone.